0: They're coming to get you, Barbara. You're still afraid. Stop it! You're ignorant! Hello, and welcome to Night of the Living Academic Podcast. I'm Caitlin, and I welcome all horror films into my heart with open arms, even the misfit ones.
1: And this is your co-host Matt, who also has room for horror in his heart, but has a thing called standards.
0: And this is episode number 14, and we are going to be covering Rob Grant's Harpoon, which came out this year. Before we get into Harpoon, let's talk about today's beer, because we also don't really have any hard news to cover, uh, so we're just diving into the yeah, beer. dive right
1: into this this time.
0: So, unfortunately, our area is currently experiencing the Harpoon drought of 2019, so we couldn't find Harpoon beer anywhere, even though that would have been the perfect, perfect match for us. A film called Harpoon. I
1: know, and we drank plenty of Harpoon beer down at that beer festival the other day, right? With the uh, the uh, fall beer festival. Yeah, I
0: but, think there was a Harpoon there.
1: But for some reason, uh, they decided not to stock the stores this time around. So
0: very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. we found a, a good enough beer, and that more than good enough, I would say, um, that fits the theme. Uh, so actually, when we were watching this movie, some of the characters in the movie do drink beer while they're on a boat, and it looked like and it looked like they were drinking Montauk beers, even yeah. though I, we they probably weren't, because I think it's set in Florida. Well,
1: either. I don't know. Super similar cans, and yeah. it does feel got that, like, lock, Yacht Rocked look yeah. to it. So I may, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Montauk beers. I also wouldn't be surprised if this took place out in the Hampton Bays or something That's like true. that as well. <laughs> but um, probably not, but I think it's a pretty close match, and that was my first thought, too. Definitely a Montauk Uh, Yeah, can that they were
0: holding. So we got the can that it looked it that looked the closest to the can that they were holding because the beer they're drinking had like either yellow or orange.
1: Right, and not only that, but it's
0: called Driftwood Ale. Uh, So like drifting out at sea, perhaps. Yep. Um, and this is uh, their uh, I think it's an English pale ale. It's definitely a pale ale. Uh, so we're opening it now. Give it a taste. Good ah, good as always. It's always so easy to drink a nice pale ale, yeah, which I guess does fit the whole yachting experience.
1: Yeah, I think so. And even
0: though it's snowing slash raining outside right now, it brings me to a nice beach place.
1: Yeah, I think the movie does that pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. Some of the shots. So.
0: All right. Well, I guess that brings us to Harpoon. So first of all, we want to say thank you to Kayla and Rebecca, who work with PR. Um, because they're the ones who hooked us up with this movie, and we actually got our very first screener.
1: Yeah, a little bit of background, um, I think Carpoon probably wouldn't be a surprise if you hadn't heard about it, it is an indie film, it is kind of making the rounds on video on demand i believe mm-hmm. um and yeah those guys over at exile gave us the screener i guess you know thank you to all 12 of our, our listeners or <laughs> whoever else who's uh you know making us big stars that yeah. we're getting screeners nowadays
0: big old hollywood types over was, here this
1: was a lot of fun this is certainly our first screener and like you know certainly our first time doing anything like this so i feel pretty fancy doing yeah. this how about you
0: yeah, definitely very fancy. I was I wanted to watch this this one, too, and I was sort of hoping it was going to come on Shudder or Hulu or something, so I was really happy to find a way to actually get to see it this without paying. <laughs> I guess this is our payment recording this podcast, but if you're interested in watching Harpoon, there's a lot of ways you can find it. First of all, you could buy it off of iTunes or Voodoo V-U-D-U, YouTube, Amazon, all these places you could stream it. And also right now, they're selling a Blu-ray copy, um, and it's on sale, maybe a Black Friday type situation, uh, for 20 bucks from Epic Pictures' website. So you could do all that. I definitely, uh, well, I guess you'll see, but I'll say it right now. I definitely recommend watching this one. It's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, we'll get into our reviews, but I'll say right off the bat, I would recommend watching this as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt's going to give his plot summary in a second but i guess uh or did you want to talk about spoilers
1: yeah so this one this time around since it is a new movie that um is is still making around and it's not super accessible for people to watch at least on like major uh either streaming sites or you know at the movie theaters we're gonna keep this we're gonna try to keep this spoiler free compared to our other episodes but with that said we still want to dive into the movie, um, and we won't make any direct references of what exactly happens, but um, by the nature of talking about twists or plot uh, summaries, you might be able to sort some of the things out yourself, so please be aware of that. Uh, with that said, there's not super super it's not like a shambhala movie where you know this is gonna ruin it like that if you know <laughs> the spoilers the journey is still pretty fun um but just keep in keep that in mind when you view this listen to this episode and also somewhat different, I'm just going to read the synopsis that the Exile PR provided for us instead of me writing my own, mm-hmm. um, just because I do want to avoid making sure, uh, I'm not talking about those spoilers, that I figured reading that synopsis would do the trick. Sounds good. So the synopsis for Harpoon, when his perfect family and perfect upbringing, Richard, appears to have it all. So when he thinks that his long-term girlfriend Sasha and his best friend Jonah are having an affair, it sends him into a fit of rage that leaves Jonah a bloody mess. Once Jonah and Sasha convince Richard the allegations are false, Richard tries to buy back their trust by taking them for a day trip on his family's yacht. Tension boils over once out at sea, and to make matters worse, the yacht's engine fails. Stranded without food and supplies, the trio must set aside their differences in order to survive. One part post-modern Edgar Allan Poe adaptation, one part knife in the water with the cast of Seinfeld, Harpoon is wickedly humorous and bloody deconstruction of friendship and love.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that they even said that it's they called it a postmodern post story, which I do love. yeah,
1: we were talking about that a little bit. yeah, I didn't realize it was such a direct reference to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, certainly there was definitely literal references within the movie, mm-hmm. but uh, this makes sense. That's part of the synopsis here,
0: yeah. yeah, so, I like
1: that. What did you think, Kaylin? giving your overall right. thoughts?
0: So, I guess uh, reviews. yep, all right. so, I I really enjoyed this. I had a lot of fun with this. I feel like it was really fast paced. It's only like an hour, 20 minutes, but it felt even shorter to me because of how fast paced it goes. I feel like something new is either uncovered or, or a new event is happening with every single beat. So there's no like wallowing or, or anything like that in a single moment, which I really liked. Uh, for this film. I also think the tone was really fun, which makes sense with a postmodern Poe slash Seinfeld at Sea, um, film. Uh, so, I felt like it was bleak, yet absurd in in a lot of ways. So, I didn't feel like there was any, like, major gut-busting laughing moments. Like, I never was hysterically laughing, I guess. But the whole thing was sort of so absurd- and crazy that I, I had a sort of tense smile on my face the whole movie. Yeah. And they did a really great job at the same time, like while being absurd, it, it was also like they did a really good job making the threats feel really real and relatable. It's something that... like the engine failed and they have no no water no whatever with them no way to Mm -hmm. purify salt water or whatever it is you do and i could totally see myself getting on a friend's boat and just assuming they like took care of everything and not really checking that all the supplies are are there um so i thought that was really relatable and and like genuinely pretty scary idea and yeah, I just love this subgenre. We'll talk more about this in a little bit, but this subgenre of rich people dealing with horror in a rich person environment. I love it. I love mm. it. I love it. I want more of it. But more on that later. And then finally, um I think they did a really great job great use of sea horror elements, so like the very classic things of of sea horror, so like not having those resources, being trapped at sea. Mm. Um, and then also like having to work together with whoever's on the boat with you, but also sort of defending yourself at the same time. Um, and the whole thing of like, suddenly it it went from a fun day out at sea to suddenly a life or death scenario. That was really good. And I thought the editing really Mm -hmm. stood out. Not really a
1: fun day, but yeah, it started trying to be a fun day. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I liked how they referenced past sea horror things like Poe and also Jaws, I think, is directly referenced at one time. And I, I like, I appreciate those little references. Um, so overall, I really liked it.
1: Alright. Great. So for my review, uh, and we talked about this at length beforehand, mm-hmm. before we even watched the movie, how nervous I was as the critical, more critical point of view mm-hmm. on this podcast, that I was really going to not like this indie horror, yep. uh, and how I was going to deal with it knowing that I still want to be authentic, but I don't want to be overly mean about you know, a an indie horror that mm-hmm. we're getting a free screening of. So with that said... I am not put in that awkward position because I am pretty pleasantly surprised with it. Um, I pretty much, you know, like I said, enjoyed it and overall had fun. Uh, some elements did stand out. And of course, all this is to say, it's not without some critiques as of well. So I'll give a to my view with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, <laughs> I think the good. I think it's very polished for an indie movie. Uh, it looked good. Um, And oftentimes with indie horrors, I kind of feel like some of the filmmaking aspects take a backseat to the horror aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Either the filming seems amateurish or, you know, even a bit stodgy <laughs> at
0: times. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> we're watching The Great British Breakoff, and they use the word stodgy, and I love it. Uh Dull and uninspired. But Harpoon is not stodgy, so that's a good thing. In fact, there were a lot of particularly inspired moments that I, I really liked. Uh, as you touched upon, some of the editing I thought was yeah. really good, uh really fun. And also the soundtrack I thought was mm. great at times. Um Maybe not like every single moment, but there were some moments where I, I felt like, wow, this is straight out of a, uh, you know, critically acclaimed movie, just kind of dwelling on the scene with a, a perfectly chosen soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um As for the bad, I thought the writing was a little inconsistent. Um, And I, I like the overall plot and the twists and turns that we make, but this movie is a bottle episode movie, right? We, we're not, you know, going from scene to, we're not going from, uh, you know, new sets to new sets. It's it's all in one single place. So I think if you're going to do that, you really need to have really tight and relevant dialogue. And I think sometimes it's a little, I don't want to say weak, but just not there if we're going to do a bottle episode to keep us, um, you know, to really elevate this movie and sort of in the same way. I think the character development is no worse than your average horror thriller. But again, as a character driven plot, you know, some of the results and at the end, it it, it felt a little unearned given what we learned of characters in the beginning. I think that needs to be tightened up just a little bit more to be like a really great movie. And then finally the ugly, um, (laughs) I think what you said—some of the surreal, absurd, dark humor worked really well, especially in the last act. But a lot of the humor early on, which felt uh, it felt more like out of a Todd Phillips or a Tim Miller movie, like it—it it just missed the mark for me. It wasn't like dark or clever. It was just kind of, in my opinion, a little bro-y and juvenile, um, or you know, maybe more out of a sitcom than like a thoughtful movie. Um, And that might be just my personal preference uh, Like you know I hate like Deadpool humor I think it's very unfunny You know that kind of touches upon that A little bit from time to time And in particular there's this ex- The one callback About calling a harpoon a spear gun Like multiple times It happened it was like shooting, in Shoehorned in And that really did not work for me So that's like the prominent example but I want people to remember that, you know, overall, I do like this film. Uh, those, that harpoon spear gun moment is very few and far between. Um, and it only happens in kind of the first part of the movie, the exposition of everything. And then it doesn't stick with it for too long. So overall, good time.
0: Nice. Yeah um all right so i guess we could get into conversations then i don't know is there a topic you wanted to dive into first at all
1: um i kind of want to know your opinions about what i was talking about about the the juvenile humor or i don't know where to quite place that type of humor but it definitely felt like two different types of humor right like
0: i guess but i don't know i'm trying to think right now of examples of that but i, I feel like if, you, if you're just looking at the dialogue i Feel like that might come from the characters themselves, right? Because I think part of it is like we have this sort of nice guy TM character, mm-hmm. Jonah. Okay, and then we have this like who's n- traditionally in film is going to be like the broey
1: rich, rich d bag yeah. rich
0: boy, yeah. Um, maybe Who, vi- and he's presented as like violent, yeah. quick temper to to or like
1: to his, to his credit,
0: hurt his temper to his
1: credit, the actor's credit. I don't know if they made him up to be but he's got a naturally punchable face that really works
0: sure. for role. <laughs> Wait, who? Uh, the, the
1: Rich. D-bank. Richard? Uh yeah, Richard.
0: Yeah, but I think I think maybe the humor is coming like the jokes and the things that they're saying. It's like part of that sort of type. And then and then the Sasha is sort of like the they called her like the mom as well as the mm-hmm. long-term girlfriend and friend of the group. And I don't know. I I feel like getting these characters or getting to know these characters, they are going to have that sort of maybe Deadpool, bro humor. I think, yeah. like, bringing up Todd Phillips, like, Hangover, yeah, I feel like... At least the two guys, they if they grew up, like maybe in five or ten years, they would be the hangover
1: characters. I just kind of felt like in this movie it was, it was noticeable because it felt like it abandoned that pretense a little bit towards the end. And I guess that's part of the plot, though, right? Where mm-hmm. things are kind of getting deconstructed. They're different people now in a way, but not really. Yeah. But it did feel like it wasn't that humor anymore. Right. I, I didn't feel like I was kind of forced through that so
0: but they're not making like as many jokes near the end either because of what's happening
1: i guess that's true that's why
0: i think it really is it's coming from the characters and i don't think we're necessarily supposed to be like on any of those characters sides either
1: yeah and well uh, yeah i I guess you're right but then like i I just i just much preferred the last act to right the fir- definitely the first act mm-hmm. and the middle act was kind of it truly was like an in-between transition mm-hmm. so i just thought it was more successful and more stand out as a movie and that's the movie I, I i want to enjoy if that was the movie the entire time i would put this rank this movie pretty highly
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i agree the ending is definitely or like the final third is mm-hmm. is the strongest that it gets to. Which is good it. Better than it being really strong and then going yeah, down. Yeah, yeah,
1: downhill. Which we, I think it's actually more common for movies that we've yes. seen than else. <laughs> I agree. Now about the characters then. I thought it was that was a little inconsistent. I, I didn't like the idea that we'd had to dislike everybody. Well, a little bit.
0: I guess okay, so I would say I, I out of them, out of the three, I was mainly I liked the girl the most, however or Sasha, but However, she's not really perfect either, since well, I, mean, I don't know how much real. Yeah, yeah.
1: They're all p- far from perfect, Yeah, right? But, uh, you know, she... It, it seemed like... I think the weird thing was, like, it didn't seem like we were rooting for anybody, and then all of a sudden, we're kind of rooting harshly for Sasha. Right. Like, towards the middle. Not necessarily her. I think we're always rooting for their... Survival. Survival. Sure. Oops, minor spoiler, I guess. <laughs> we're rooting for... You know, all of them to get through this. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like Sasha became almost like the superwoman, like the only... Final girl. She y- sort of
0: takes on the final girl. role,
1: Yeah, but she also takes on characteristics, very redeeming characteristics, where like all of a sudden she was not, not just someone who had to overcome something, but mm-hmm. almost like the person who was smart and clever And in control the entire time. That's the final girl.
0: Like, resourceful, smart, she has to overcome. Mm -hmm. She has to, yeah, she has to outsmart the others. That's sort of a
1: final girl. So I think the problem is not so much that. I don't like what she was in the beginning and I don't like what she was in the end. Uh-huh. It's more like I didn't feel like that transition was... it. There was a, a, a seamless transition into that. It didn't seem like she learned and she had to be put through this test to become this person. Uh-huh. It just felt like she she, she was out of sure. the blue.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to really say to mm-hmm. that necessarily. Well, that's just like a
1: critique, I think, of, yeah. of the movie. And what I meant when I was talking about my review that the, the character development was a little, I, I don't know, not seamless for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really have a problem with her character at all. I thought it made sense.
1: Yeah, maybe just me nitpicking.
0: But I guess speaking of the characters, I do want to talk about that subgenre, the rich people horror subgenre that I've been really into. I, it feels like a recent noticing I've had, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've loved this subgenre for longer. And I feel like we in the horror community or in the film community we really need to come up with a title for this subgenre because I think it's it's becoming more prevalent. So some examples like Parasite, Your Next, Funny Games, and now Harpoon. So it's like The aesthetic of rich homes or rich locations. In this case, I guess it's a little play on the subgenre because we're in a yacht rather than a mansion. But yeah, seeing rich yuppies deal like covered in blood, like a white polo shirt with blood splatter. Mm. I love that. (laughs) I think it's mainly the aesthetic, but, um, like being able to see like a really nice, well manicured home and like, pristine clothing and then being destroyed. Maybe we could throw American Psycho into this, too, yeah. although that's slightly different. Well, um, I mean,
1: I think American Psycho kind of is maybe the grandfather it. of that juxtaposition. Sure, like yes. This blood splattered, mm-hmm. uh, working, but like, high class,
0: uh, yes. upper, upper,
1: upper class uh, person.
0: Sure. So that's maybe like how Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Psycho is to the slasher, mm-hmm. American Psycho is to whatever this is. Mm-hmm. I love it so much, and the second I realized what that this movie was sort of part of the subgenre, I
1: I really loved it. Yeah, although I I liked it and I I liked the imagery of it, uh, and we did get some of that because Richard the rich d bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's okay. For, the movie will be okay with us characterizing yeah, him, him as a rich so. d bag. That he he definitely like dressed the part. You know, dressed the part, looked the part. I'm not sure if he certainly acted the part. I guess there is his backstory. Is, uh meaningful in that regard, though, that mm-hmm. his family really is so rich and powerful that they, they'll get away with murder. Like, right. literally. Yeah. And that but was I a think, yeah, big part of the plot.
0: I think, too, though, like, this movie is sort of playing with our perceptions with the characters a little bit because mm-hmm. they want us to think, well... <laughs> I guess I can't say this.
1: Uh, Yeah, you probably can't.
0: All right, I'll just leave it at that, that they're sort of playing with our perceptions of of how, like, just based on look and knowledge, like, some basic character knowledge, how we're going to judge these characters right off the start. I think there's a lot of that happening too.
1: But again, I guess it's not super spoilery because, like, where else could the movie go? Mm -hmm. Like, are we just supposed to gang up against the rich D-bag the entire time? That's true, that's true. Um, That doesn't seem to be, you know, a pretty thin movie. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we should just put out in the open that not everybody in this movie is innocent. Sure.
0: In fact, all of them aren't. We already sort of said this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the girl... It's yeah, less so than the others. But. Sure,
0: sure. Well, I guess then what I was going to say is that Jonah is sort of presented immediately as this sort of, like, quiet, down yeah. on his luck, maybe sort of, like, nerdier guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's sort of put there for audiences to sort of immediately want to relate to and, and cling to and be on his side. But I think very quickly, too, the movie shows us that he's not exactly who yeah. this character like this. We think he's this sort of character, but he turns out to mm-hmm. to not fit that box. I guess.
1: Yeah, something about him never—I never empathized with him, even at the beginning. I'm not sure what it was. I forget if the movie purposefully added some things, but I was never on his side, and I mm. can't remember why. Were, were well, you he on was pretty—he
0: was pretty like brutal in terms of like his his dead parents and stuff. I thought
1: right. But that could be, you know, written it could, yeah. up as pain on his yeah or trauma. Yeah, grief. But- um,
0: yeah, I felt like I was sort of on his side right mm-hmm. from the start, especially because I saw Richard and I was like, okay, Richard's funny games, so right. don't trust him. And then Jonah just seemed more like your average sort of mm. guy. I don't know. Mm. Not guy. Just sort of like your average person, more relatable than the other two.
1: Gotcha i I thought maybe it was just the relationships they needed to they were doing this kind of like Guy Ritchie edit of like flashbacks by a narrator, mm-hmm. right which at times worked really well. yeah I loved
0: that actually.
1: I don't know why they didn't put, like, a history of them as, like, children, right? How they became friends. Because mm-hmm. I had a hard time really believing that these guys were friends. Like, mm-hmm. this triangle just seemed weird, right? Like, why is this poor kid, I don't know if he's poor, but let's just say even middle class, like, yeah. hang out with such a rich, upper class person, right? right. Like, why are they in the same circles? That's like, And true. best friends. So... I felt like the movie owed us a bit of explanation. There I guess I had just really.
0: assumed college, but maybe this is just me sort of filling in the gaps yeah. that they met at college or something. Right. I don't know. I guess, yeah, that could have been helpful. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like that was necessary, at least not for me.
1: I, I think it would have helped with what you're saying about, like, putting, making Richard, mm-hmm. the D-bag, into a whole different echelon of person. Right. Right? Like, that... That, um, what's his name in the middle class? Jonah. Jonah. It has, he's a beta male, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just in his life circumstances, but in his social circle of friends. Right. But you never really get that sense. and I think mean, they
0: did a few things. Like the punching, like when he got a free punch against Richard and it wasn't like that hard of a punch. And then Sasha punched Richard. Yeah. And then there was the whole joke about how she's a good puncher <laughs> yeah yeah um and then also the fact that jonah spent his inheritance money on um on a, a prostitute, prostitute. Yeah. and it seemed like that was right did they say that was like his only like like oh well you're the one who has to pay you to have sex or something uh i
1: don't yeah i don't know i
0: don't think that yeah. was his only time having sex but i feel like that was all part of making him sort of like beta or down on his luck kind of guy mm.
1: I think I think they need to, to turn up his patheticness just to dial <laughs> just a little bit more to the extreme to to really make the relationships work, especially the ending work. Sure. So, again, still like the movie overall.
0: Yeah. Then I guess I'm going to bring in this next little thing because we sort of talked about it a little bit. The editing, um, that mm-hmm. was really fun. And the narrating, too. So, Brett Gellman narrated. Yeah. Um, he did, like, a voiceover narration throughout the movie. And, yeah, he would pop in time to time to tell us some background on the characters or things like that. But then... My favorite moment was um, he came in to just describe every single type of superstition and like bad luck thing you can do or bring onto a boat, and that was cut with images of these three characters doing everything Brett Gelman is telling us you should (laughs) not be doing on a boat. And I I love that. That was
1: that that was the highlight of the movie for Mm -hmm. me, even though it's uh, somewhat inconsequential.
0: Yeah, I think. Um, I don't know because. It's also, I think, it, like, makes it feel like this this is fated to turn into a horror movie rather than the hangover romp on a boat. Right. I feel like this this made it, I don't know, it, like, set them on the path towards horror genre. Yeah. And I thought it was fun, too, because this this segment comes after everything that he lists and everything we see while he lists these elements of, of like, things you shouldn't be doing on a boat we had already seen them it like it was cut from the scenes we had already right. seen so it was fun cuz there was one thing i can't remember it right now but there was one thing i remember they did and i remember being like oh in the back of my head i guess from reading 19th century right. american sea stories i don't know how this bit of knowledge was in my head but something they did i was like oh
1: <laughs> even if, before that shot you
0: yeah it, well no when cuz it's like you see a few scenes and it's they're doing the yeah. things and only after we see these scenes, then Brett Gelman is like, okay, let's go through everything they've done in the past 30 minutes that's yeah. against yeah. S- siege superstition. So, yeah, even before he explained it, there was something, and I can't think of it right now. Killing the seagulls? Maybe. And maybe that's of because of the then. lighthouse, then. Yeah. But I feel like there's something else, maybe. I don't know. I really like that. Because then it makes it fun, too, if you know anything. or
1: I think it was a really fun edit. I think. I like the idea that it introduces superstition. Mm-hmm. I think it I think they needed to do it one more time, like to <laughs> like cuz they did it at the beginning of the movie but like in a different way. I forget what it was. It was just to introduce the characters, like just a bit of exposition, mm-hmm. I believe. But nothing as cool as like it was like the first part was unmemorable, this part was meaningful mm-hmm. and I liked it. Well, not not meaningful, and that's part of The problem, and I hate to call it a problem because, like I said, it was a highlight of the movie for me, and I really enjoyed it. I just wish there was a little bit. They went in that direction a little bit more, Um, like they did that one more time somewhere.
0: Okay, yeah, I I do wish there was more of that, but I do think it was it was important. Like, it's not like it was meaningless. I think it does it further ties this film. Like we were saying before, to the sort of sea horror, gothic at sea genre, but that it like ties it to larger narratives and, and experiences of death at sea.
1: But it wasn't, it wasn't built upon superstition, right? Mm-hmm. But everything that happens was part of an individual's actions. Sure. So there was not really any place for superstitions, fate, or luck.
0: Yeah, but that's how it is, like, if you're a real, like, sea seaman, sailor man, you might say, like, oh, it's bad luck to do this, but in reality, like, if anything bad happens to you, it's either because you're at sea and, like, nature, or it's something Mm -hmm. you did, but it's, like, part of this grand narrative, this grand tradition of of seafaring, you know?
1: Yeah, but I I don't know, I disagree, because it was pretty much a, a planned murder at sea. So I don't think there was any bad luck influences, you know, there was no influence of any supernaturalness within the events of the movie.
0: Sure, but I think, I don't know, I I don't know if, like, it's part of the tradition of, like, so I guess to answer this, I guess I'm going to bring in sort of the next topic that I wanted to talk about, which is, So they directly reference Edgar Allan Poe's story, um, well, his novel, his only novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like this fake uh, sailor diary or sailor memoirs. And Poe actually published it under the name Arthur Gordon Pym. And then like months or something later, he released like, oh, surprise, it was me. I wrote this whole thing. Pym is made up. And supposedly it was shocking, but eh, who knows? I didn't really do all the research of like public reception at the time. But anyway, even in that, it's like, it's clearly until the very end of Arthur Gordon Pym, where it gets into like Lovecrafty and weird territory, like the ocean turns into like milk and like boiling milk. Hmm. So it gets really weird and supernatural at the end. But in the beginning, like the first, I'd say three fourths of this novel, it's a lot of human, there's mutinies and, and cannibalism and things like that. But it's still like, so yeah, it's human choice, human decision in a lot of these things. Like the mutiny was pre-planned before they even got on the boat, it seems like. So that is similar to this story. And now I get why they're saying it's a postmodern Poe, because I sort of see how this story comes out of Arthur Gordon Pym in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So this mutiny was pre-planned. But there's still like, in Poe's story, there's still a lot of superstition imagery, like just like they did here, like things like oh, bad luck to to step your left foot on first onto the boat. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like it's it's just like this tradition of maybe if time is time is a flat what is that time is a flat circle or whatever. Yeah, like you were always fated to step on the boat with your left foot first, which is why even though it was this happened before the mutiny was planned before. It still happened because fate knew you were going to step on the boat left foot. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see that. Or like, or it's the belief that like the mutiny happened, and you just so happened to step on with your left foot first. You should have noticed that, and that what that your foot would be telling you don't get on this boat, right? Because this is a bad luck right. boat.
1: So I, I get that. I I just I think for what you're saying, it would ha- it would be more effective if one of the character, any of the characters, were aware. Of the bad things they were sure. doing, superstition-wise, mm-hmm. right? But they weren't. We are because the editor, mm-hmm. this narrator, is telling right. us. But what's like? It's pointless to tell us as much as it would be if one of the characters felt like sure. this was driving the events mm-hmm. or like coloring the events that go on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I'm just thinking like I like I said. I like I liked it. It was a fun little diversion, but it didn't feel more than a diversion. Mm -hmm. And thinking about it the way you're putting it, I would have really liked to seen it as probably the the female character if she had picked up subconsciously even of all those bad luck things Mm -hmm. or even mentioned It's like, isn't it bad luck to Mm -hmm. um, kill a seagull or something? Yeah. And then, then that way she could kind of build that into her experiences and allow the supernat like this this um idea that what's happening to her has some um link to superstition
0: sure but at the same time she is the nurse so she would be she's science rational
1: mm. but um but that mean she would even be a better victim to super sure. superstition
0: sure and i think too i don't know i think part of the comedy of this is like that we know it and they don't that we see all this and they're like idiots Thinking they're in control when we all know like uh, you like ruined your one chance at control because all this bad luck stuff is happening all around you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Again, I just feel like it. they were one one person was in control. Mm. I think one person was in control directing all the events and, and like there's no intermediate, intermediary from the universe at all.
0: I don't want to give away spoilers, but to you, I'll just say, like, the end scene, and I'll leave okay, it at that. Okay, that. <laughs> that's <laughs> the
1: only, redeem. yes, that end scene is correct, but not the major plot.
0: Sure, but that's still, it's still, so, and this is the other thing, too, so we talked, I talked a little bit about this with you um, before we recorded, but I feel like this movie does a good job sp- with gothic sort of the gothic format i guess um more so than horror in a lot of ways i mean there was like gore up the wazoo Mm -hmm. i guess but um and maybe this is because they're building off our uh pose arthur gordon pym but there's just constant the whole plot is driven forward by this repressed like repressed knowledge repressed secrets (laughs) repressed events from the past that the characters try to keep submerged but they keep bubbling up to the surface and that's what keeps moving the plot forward and, and brings it to its ultimate conclusion and I think a big part of uh, Poe's Arthur Gordon Pym and a lot of gothic stories in general too is this idea that we can we humans can be in control through through gaining knowledge mm-hmm. or whatever and once you have knowledge of something you gain control over it But in Pym, everything that Arthur Gordon Pym reads, for example, in order to gain knowledge of the situation, just brings him into more, more terrified, terrified states of being, and like having less control over everything. So the more knowledge he gains, Mm -hmm. the less control he has. Um, For example, at one point, he gets like his dogs on board that ship in Arthur Gordon Pym. And the dog brings back down this, like, note that's written in blood, and Arthur Gordon Pym can't completely understand it, but, like, the little he does understand, like, pushes him into a bit of a panic. Mm-hmm. Things like that keep happening. So every time you gain knowledge in in Poe's Pym, uh, you go a little crazy. And I think the same thing is happening in Harpoon, that the more knowledge one has or the more they seek to have control over the situation, the less control that they actually have over it. So yeah, even even though like you're saying that this is like was an orchestrated murder plot that was pre planned even before they get on the boat, mm-hmm. even those people or person who was planning the murder doesn't actually have any sort of control over the situation. That's all a facade, which is why I really like this introduction of of the supernatural and superstition mm-hmm. and things like that. Because, and again, it brings us back to the eco gothic. They're in the middle of the ocean. They have absolutely no control. It's a it's it's in the eco gothic, especially on sea. It's it's a laugh for humans to even consider. Oh, you're on a boat, so you think you're going to get out of here. Well, not if the sea has anything to do with it. So yeah, that's, I, that's why I liked that aspect Okay, of it. okay. There's no I, control.
1: I like the reading of it, and yeah. I believe it. If anything, and you're right, the movie does do that. But I guess the, the way I'll put it is it's unevenly distributed of what fate is dealing out versus what individuals are planning.
0: Sure, and fate, but even the things that they plan, like... Like for example, Sasha is the one who knows the po- uh, who knows Arthur Gordon Pym, and she's like, "Oh, they they drink the blood of a turtle, so we could drink the blood of a of a seabird mm-hmm. in order to hydrate ourselves." Um, so she's basing her control of the situation, she's basing her her plan off of a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. So they're just, and the same thing happens in Arthur Gordon Pym that they don't. There's like a hard not a hard, a very blurry boundary between fiction and reality and, and the characters never know where to turn to gain their knowledge, which we could say also about sea superstitions mm-hmm. that, like, who knows if it's real, but it's all that I have Fair. to go off of, so I have to sort of drink this bird blood and hope for the best, and this is how I gain control over the situation. But even though I really don't have control... I can I see that. <laughs> all that to say, like, even when the characters are ta- are, like, Making a plan and doing something—it's still like not really based off of anything hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I think we're we're coming to an impasse here. Where yeah, you know, and it, that happens. But I like again, I like the reading, and I I think they are going for that too, mm-hmm. especially towards the the end. But mm-hmm. but like it's the final few moments versus the majority of the movie, right? So. I'm not sure in terms of balance Mm -hmm. of what points the universe intervenes. There's enough of that for me that I would like really think it's a well-balanced movie. Okay. So hard to do this without more bad talk. I know,
0: that's. I'm having a really hard time. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because I I have one more thing.
1: no, No, you could bring it up.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to celebrate the gore because yeah, I was just talking about the gothic, but I want to talk about the horror elements and the gore is really great in this movie, like really disgusting and like cringy, I guess. Um, so Jonah gets, mm. how does he get in? He gets an infection. Oh, because Richard harpoons. Yeah, right? he gets
1: harpooned in the hand.
0: And that that cut that wound. Spear gunned. Yeah, he gets spear gunned. <laughs>
1: it's a spear gun. <laughs>
0: In the hand, and that that wound gets infected, and then they try to like amputate it at one point. But yeah, yeah, just yeah. They give up really fast. I, no,
1: I I love that part too. I know. Actually. I think that's really like what would happen. Like, yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you give up. A second, like the glass touches your elbow or whatever. Yeah. yeah I I, I, that. I agree the 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 gore was good. It wasn't even over the top. No, it was pretty realistic, I would say. There were times when I'm not good with gore, so I was covering my eyes and telling you to tell me when I can look. So (laughs) that's a good sign. Yeah. You like gore.
0: And I liked, too, like, that's sort of where the humor came from, too, going back to the amputation and Jonah in general, because Jonah gets, I would say, 90% of all attacks are are made on (laughs) him. So he becomes sort of like the movie's punching bag, which becomes a little... It's not fully in the physical comedy realm, but it like just brushes up against it. It's yeah, Still, definitely totally. horror, but it's it becomes sort of funny to like see slapstick. Yeah, about. like uh. how bad can Jonah take it? Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, the harpoon in the hand, the spear gun in the yeah. hand was clearly slapstick. Almost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I agree. And you know, I, you, I said before. I think they could have made him more pathetic. Mm-hmm. And thinking back, maybe they really did make him pretty pathetic. I and I just it wasn't resonating with mm-hmm. me, but because um, yeah, he certainly does get beat up physically <laughs> for sure in the movie.
0: Yeah. All right. So that's that's actually pretty much it for me.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, pretty much. I think we just go into our final thoughts there. Yeah. Caitlin, give us your overall review and then your final rating out of. What do we decide?
0: Tupperware's full of seabirds blood. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I don't really have much to add, except I had a lot of fun watching this. Um, I, and I definitely recommend it to anyone, especially if you're like me and you love the rich people covered in blood subgenre. We got to come up with a better term for this subgenre. Mm. Bloody rich. There's already yuppie har, so I can't call it yuppie har. It's gotta be something else. So think about it. And, uh, Tweet me, I guess, or or yeah, Instagram if me if you have any term ideas. But, yeah, so my overall review, I'm going to put it in between um, above Halloween 3 and under Terror Fire, And I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 Tupperwares full of Seabirds blood.
1: Okay. For me, definitely worth watching. Uh, a lot of fun. At the very worst, it's pretty well paced and pretty short, or at least an hour and a half. So you definitely won't lose anything from watching it. And I think it's worth it alone for those fun edit shots of what we were talking about. The And I also like the soundtrack, as I said before. Not flawless, but I am going to put this... Just, just, just slightly below Cabin Fever. Which, thinking about it now, has a Pretty lot simple. of the same energy. Yeah. So that is going to be a 6.7 of Tupperwares full of seagulls' blood. So, you know, a few quarts there, I guess. <laughs> Enough to last year for a day or two. Yeah. It's firmly in the category of movies that, like, I would recommend to watch. Um, yes. I think after a certain line... Probably below 6.0, I, I would like say, don't even bother. So, But this is firmly in it.
0: <laughs> nice. Cool. So I guess the last thing is to announce the next film. But before you do that, because it's Matt's turn to choose the next movie. But before you do that, I just want to remind everyone, um, since we were talking about Twitter a second ago, please rate and review us. Thanks to everyone who has on iTunes. But also feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. Um, we're happy to... Take any recommendations on beer to drink or movies to watch, especially since we're going into December. We're mm-hmm. going to be watching a lot of Christmas horror. So, if you have any famous, uh, famous, <laughs> any favorite Christmas horror movies that you would like us to discuss, uh, we'd love to hear them.
1: Okay. So, the movie we're picking, I'm, pick- I'm sorry, I'm picking, and <laughs> every fourth movie, it's going to lean towards something that's a little bit more, I guess you could say, art house or, I don't know, Pretentious, Caitlin would say from time to time. And going on the theme of Christmas, I needed help because I don't know horror movies that well. So Mm -hmm. I went to Reddit and asked them for suggestions for the most highbrow Christmas horror. (laughs) And the one that caught my eye is called Christmas Evil. Watching the trailer for it, it's got a little bit of... The Sue attitude, which, you know, Sue is one of those movies that I love. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty excited for it. How about you? You saw the trailer.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited. It looks like a really fun 80s, 70s slasher. Art yeah. um, um,
1: house slasher. That's what well, sold we'll me. S-
0: we'll see about that. I think it's still a slasher, and I'm mm-hmm. still going to love it, I'm sure.
1: And, you know, I, I don't think we're going to spoil it by saying that we're probably going to watch Silent Night, Deadly Night at one point. Maybe not. No? I mean, we could. Uh, well, maybe if it'll fit in. But if not, I that movie actually I think is is worthy of discussion. Like All so, right, that would have so been my other other choice there. Like if I wouldn't have a problem if Silent Night Deadly Night was in the Criterion Collection, <laughs>
0: awesome. and those are the
1: types of movies that I'm I'm like <laughs> really trying to watch.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I was I wasn't planning on including it in one of my picks because I was trying to think of movies you haven't seen yet.
1: Well, we'll see how it but fits. But
0: we haven't seen Silent Night Deadly Night in a few years, so maybe mm. it's time to bring it out.
1: Okay, maybe. Maybe.
0: I wouldn't hate rewatching that. Sounds good. All right, guys. So thanks for listening and go watch Harpoon and we'll see you next week, I guess. Thank you. Bye.